at a certain point, Dave Arneson burnt out on being the dungeon master. So he had this maybe 20 people that were obsessed with that. Yeah. And he was running games constantly. And he just ran out of ideas. I mean, they just burned him out. They wanted one, you know, if, if, if you remember what it was like to play a dungeon game the first time you played one or an mm-hmm. adventure game, time, yeah. you wanted more. Yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> and so he's the only dungeon master in the world. And yeah. he's got these people that are just, they're just like, no, Dave, you don't get a break. There's a guy calling him on the phone every day, <laughs> wanting to play over the phone all day. His parents are like, you can't, you got to tell that guy he can't do it anymore because we can't, you're keeping our phone line busy all day playing <laughs> for like six hours or whatever. And so, uh, so yeah, so he started having other people be dungeon masters mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and so there are other people like Greg Svensson, they were all play testing they were playtesting the D&D rules that Gary and Dave were working on. So in 1973, in the summer, there was a working manuscript that they got a copy of. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so Greg took those rules and created Tonisborg. If you say the real life ends up your days And you don't My name is Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Greetings, rescuers. About three weeks ago now, I hopped onto Skype for a chat with one of the most influential and active voices in the Dungeons & Dragons community, ostensibly to talk about good versus evil in gaming. Griff Morgan is a writer, director and gamer whose collaboration on the Secrets of Blackmore film, released in 2019, has shone a bright light on the origins of role-playing games rooted in the work of David Wesley and Dave Arneson. As chance would have it, a few days earlier I had received my backer's PDF of the Tonnersborg draft, a bonus book that was part of the Kickstarter for Secrets of Blackmore. And our conversation began by chatting about that project. I wanted to extract this part of the conversation and share it separately from the much longer discussion that came later. So here it is. And I'll be working on the second part of this to share in a few weeks' time, pressures of work and life permitting. That's the background. So here's the interview. This is Season 7, Episode 19, The Lost Dungeons of Tonisborg with Griff Morgan. Rescue! Let's go. Hi, Griff. <laughs> How are Hi. you? Hi. <laughs> I'm great. Yeah, here we are. We're on your show. Fantastic. We wanted to talk about a couple of different things. Um, I believe that you and I have been storing up talk about good and, and versus evil in gaming for a, a long while now. We've been meaning to talk about that for a long while. But also, I just got a PDF copy, like proofreading copy, of the Tonnersberg book. So happy to chat about that one if you're up for it. Yeah, well, you know, let's talk a little bit about Tonnersberg. I'm kind of curious. We started doing that, 
oh god is like probably two years ago or something like that maybe longer yeah and, um, um a lot of time has been spent on producing the book and and i won't go into the details of that but i have a friend who's a an experienced uh D rpg publisher yeah. and i spoke to him recently and he said you know the last yeah there you go the last open it up or well nobody can see the video you're only doing audio huh yeah um, but i got my private like, copy in front like of me last it's always the last one percent that destroys you. You know, you can write the thing, you get all the stuff together, you make your maps, whatever. But it's all the really fine tooth comb, going through it, making sure there aren't any flaws in the in the in the manuscript, and yeah. and uh, making sure the layout looks good. And um, my big curiosity is just what your response is to it. You know, like like what do you think? You've read how far have you read into it? Like oh. No, that's stunning. I mean, okay, when I say eight pages, it does that sounds awful. But when you consider that there are about six pages before the eight pages, because <laughs> there's the there's an intro bit. But yeah, I've been very slowly reading through, partly because I wanted to submit um, any kind of uh, typos as requested, which I've been doing, but also because I was really wanting to to absorb it. And um, I've got I've got to the section. There's a, a lovely section at the start of it, which is all about it's entitled um, breathing life into an old dungeon um uh, part two breathing life into an old dungeon and uh, just starts with this wonderful example of interactive storytelling you know the play uh, description you know each person sort of what they say and what yeah yeah now this yeah, yeah, for yeah. me it's so close to the kind of style that's printed in the original books so yeah. there's an example in the little brown books in there and it's so close to that and it was so absorbing to read because of that i think yeah well great you know um uh, so what we're talking about the lost dungeons of tonysburg that's um greg svensson's dungeon right yeah that's uh that was a lost i mean it literally is a lost dungeon greg was one of the first players to play a fantasy role-playing game with dave arneson yeah he was definitely in the party of adventures that were the first people to go down on a dungeon adventure an extensive elaborate dungeon adventure yeah. and he was the only survivor of that adventure and the blackmore campaign which is still the it's the oldest fantasy campaign going it's still running it is uh like the early first few years is really almost more like like the tale of the great Svenny, which was his character he was the great Svenny, and uh yeah, so there were these epic characters, and so at a certain point, Dave Arneson burnt out on being the dungeon master. He'd been doing it for his group. Uh, you have to understand, he was running a gigantic Napoleonic campaign with something like 50 players in it, mm. Okay, and it covered the entire planet, and they were playing that. It was incredibly detailed, like economics, uh, mm -hmm. political stuff, battles. And then at the same time, he had started doing this Blackmore thing. And so he had this maybe 20 people that were obsessed with that. Yeah. And he was running games constantly. And he just ran out of ideas. I mean, they just burned him out. They wanted, one, you know, if, if, if you remember what it was like to play a dungeon game the first time you played one or an mm -hmm. adventure game, time, yeah. you wanted more. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know. And so he's the only dungeon master in the world. And yeah. he's got these people that are just they're just like no dave you don't get a break there's a guy calling him on the phone every day 
wanting to play over the phone all day as parents are like, you can't, you got to tell that guy, he can't do it anymore because we can't, you're keeping our phone line busy all day playing <laughs> for like six hours or whatever. And so, uh, so yeah, so he started having other people be dungeon masters mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and so there are several guys, Richard Snyder was, was really, he was kind of the creator of rules for colored dragons in D and D originated that. And then you've got other people like Greg Svensson. They were all playtesting. They were playtesting the D&D rules that Gary and Dave were working on. So in 1973, in the summer, there was a working manuscript that they got a copy of. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so Greg took those rules and created Tonisborg. And um, it was just like a, you know, probably a Xerox copy of, of just mm-hmm. sheets. It didn't even have art or anything. Mm. In the book, it says that the the maps got lost whilst being photocopied. Is that right? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I we talked to uh, uh, John Snyder. He was one of the first people to go into Tonisborg. Yeah. And his original dive into Tonisborg, Greg originally had taken just a, a maze. You know those little puzzle mazes you find in the newspaper. Or yeah. They're just little things you you trace yeah. from A to B in the mm-hmm. in the maze. He took one of those, and that was his original dungeon. Um, right. John Snyder has a probably a photographic memory of things like that. I have a hunch that he had already seen that maze somewhere. Yeah. And so Greg was like, yeah, he just figured out how to get through it without running into the monsters at the ends of the tunnels. Yeah. Without, He just went right through it. And, uh, and so I had to have yeah. another dungeon. So the second Tonisborg dungeon is this one. And... Uh, Greg just made this dungeon up. Uh, uh, Dave Arneson had uh, a system for making a random dungeon. Right. So apparently it's based on die rolls, and, and it's very significant that, that if, if it's randomly created and, and in that process it's also being, uh, uh, it looks very similar to what uh, a Blackmore dungeon looks like mm. by Arneson, then it's probable that Arneson created most of Blackmore randomly. Mm-hmm. He just he just created a system for, for drawing out his dungeons because I don't know if you've ever seen the first fantasy campaign and the dungeon maps in that. Yeah, very briefly, but yeah. Okay, well, you remember how many angular tunnels there are? Yeah, and, yeah all 45-degree and... angles, which um, is frustrating to draw. <laughs> yeah. And that's the other thing is they were really into the idea of getting their players lost in the dungeon. And there are mm. people who tell stories of like, yeah, I lost my ninth level character in the dungeon because we lost our map and we yeah. didn't know how to get out, you know, and eventually we just starved to death in the dungeon or, or ran into too many things and didn't have any way to survive. So, uh, yeah, if you look at these dungeon maps, um, I've got one in front of me. Yeah. Those are very similar. The first time I saw them, I thought it was a Blackmore dungeon. I thought maybe it was yeah. earlier edition of Blackmore that had never been published, and Arneson had had to reproduce Blackmore, and so he published a new version. Um, but then it was it was uh, David McGarry who said, "Well, I think it may be a copy of Tonisborg." Um, so these maps were made in the summer of '73. They got lost in around, yeah. I think it was like 1980. I don't remember what it says in the book. Yeah. I'm bad. It's, there's so many dates to remember in this history stuff. It's, <laughs> I would fail if I was going for like a history degree. 
you know, or an art history degree. Yeah. I just, I figured, no. <laughs> um, so anyway, they, yeah, they lost it around 1980 and then we didn't find it till, what was it? 2015 or something like that. It was mm. 35 years later yeah. that it rediscovered. Um, and so that's the beautiful thing about it is that, that if you, if you play in Tonnesborg, with uh, either Dan's rules or you just get a copy of the original rules, which those were mm. built off and play um, using those traditional techniques that we talk about, you know, you, you're, you're stepping through this time machine and you're playing a, a role-playing game about mm. as close as you can get to probably the way Dave Arneson would have run his Blackmore game, mm. uh, which is what it's all, you know, that's kind of my big thing is like the, the we, we really need to start thinking about preserving the play style because it yeah. seems like it's being written out of new, newer editions. And, mm. and so this much purer play style that, um, that comes out of the early seventies. And so, yeah, you can, I mean, you can just, you can reproduce that and you can, your game in, you know, in your game room, it will be 1973 and Greg's Venson or David McGarry is, is the dungeon master and you're going through this terrifying place that you've never been to before. And most of you will probably die. Um, and that's <laughs> um, that's Borg right there in a nutshell, in a, in a very big nutshell. Yeah. And I think that the, um, you know, the thing that really intrigues me and I really want to delve into personally is this whole employing traditional game methods and tools, you know, the um, all of the kind of technique stuff that's in there, actually, it seems to me there's a, a considerable chunk of the book is about how to do it um which perhaps yeah. has been missing in recent products you know that's something my my background with rpgs is kind of spotty as far as i know i can tell you everything about everything that was released probably before 1980 you know so heavily mm. into it and bought a lot of the products even if i didn't yeah. have it out i will know what it is mm. um but after that i can't really talk about it i've got a 5e set and, you know, I get into trouble because I kind of diss on 5e, but it's just such a different approach that <laughs> yeah. I don't even want to go there. Um, and so, yeah, there's I'm like a really huge proponent of this idea of traditional role playing where you have uh, reasonable expectations from the players of what's going to be happening in the game. Mm. And you have reasonable outcomes. And so you don't need to roll dot, you know, do I know what this is? It's like, well, your character is a dwarf and this thing looks like something that you might have run into in your lifetime as a young dwarf of, you know, 120 years or whatever. Mm. So I'm just going to tell you what it is. We're not going to do a die roll. But if it's something that's much deeper that is part of my story that I want you to figure out, because I, I run the game, the game, the way I run it is more like a mystery game. Mm. So you get clues and you have to put the clues together. So I'm not going to put the clues together for you. It's just mm. you're going to get this thing. You know, you got a key. And then later in the dungeon, you find a box with a keyhole on it. You know, um, not going to give you a die roll like, yeah, that's the box the key is for. No, it's not a video game. It's a real role playing game. So, yeah, I, you know, that's kind of the, the one of the things we were trying to teach is this idea of, of just the, the old way of doing it, which is very immersive. Yeah. It's um. There's a whole. I mean, just in the whole section there, there's a whole list of the various different techniques that are in use, you know, and um, all of this kind of um, 
the, you know, things like the fake role, the reversal role, the paranoia role, all these little techniques yeah. that, you know, anyone who's been playing a while probably has heard of. But maybe if you're new to the hobby, you know, this is utterly, um, you know, arcane, really, I suppose, perhaps lost to this older way of playing. I think it's stuff that uh, the older gamers will read the book and kind of be like, oh, yeah, I do that. You know, like, mm. oh, yeah, I do that. You know, I didn't have a name for it, but I've been doing that for 40 years or so, mm. you know. And so, yeah, I mean, for them, for the for the older gamers, maybe the book is just going to be a refresher course of, of mm. but yeah, I haven't used that one in a while. That one's pretty fun, you know. <laughs> um, uh, it scares the pants off players. Let's do that one again. So there's that aspect. So they're probably going to be more focused on the historical aspect of just the dungeon itself. Mm. Um, we're using Dan Boggs' rules that are mm. derived from the original Dungeons & Dragons rules in the book. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing too is is every dungeon master in in who follows the kind of the traditional play style part of that is that every dungeon master is going to have different rules for everything and implement or just ignore entire mm-hmm. rule sections. Um, one of the big ones I kind of tried to address it in the in the text. Dan was kind of like, "That's not the way I do it. We shouldn't even talk about it." And some things, and I was like, "Yeah, but." You know, like the the idea of parallel actions versus uh, doing initiative and things like that. I think that needs mm. to be addressed. And yeah. the idea of of sort of the simulationist versus you know, are you, are you trying to simulate what hacking a sword is like, or are you just trying to get results that simulate what happens when people hack on each other's with swords? Mm. Um, um, things like that. I don't, you know, I don't know mm. if you go into if you get all philosophical about that kind of stuff with your gaming. Oh, I do. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and it's like the difference between the the uh, in the original Dungeons and Dragons, a combat round is a minute long. Yeah. Which even then, I was like, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's because they didn't really know what a com. They were really deriving their ideas out of rules instead of out of real combat experience. Mm. And a lot of games, uh, like kind of contemporary to that, is were you are you familiar with Melee and Wizard, the little micro games? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They have like a five-second turn, so re- mm-hmm. all you have time for is like I can either run across the room or I can move half my movement and hack somebody or I can move two squares and shoot an, at my bow. Mm. It was the same with other contemporary games. Like I remember RuneQuest, you know, the Steve Perrin's uh, game that had, uh, uh, I think it's a 12-second round, isn't it? And, um, you know, the, the strike ranking system and all of that as well. So yeah, that but they were coming obviously from their their experience with the uh, Society for Creative Anachronism, um, right? Whereas as you were saying, you're sort of suggesting you know, um, I guess Gary and, and Dave and all that lot were coming from the wargaming background. Yeah, they were much more. Well, I think they were familiar with. I mean, I have an old photograph from I think it's from maybe '67, '68 of Dave Arneson mm-hmm. and uh, Dwayne Jenkins all dressed up. They got their picture taken at, at the Renfest. Yeah. And uh, so they were familiar by then with seeing people fighting. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just a, it's the, that simulationist versus sort of a results oriented person. Mm. Um, and I tend to be I tend to lean more toward a, a result game than a simulationist game because the, you, you really can't simulate fighting. If you've ever done it, I've done it. You know, And yeah. people get. They think that you know swinging your sword is the most important thing, but in a lot of ways, footwork is just as important. And yeah. you know, you you if you're 
if you're all your weight is on your forward foot, you're not going to be reaching much farther than that with your sword. And, mm. and if you're going to waste your energy swinging, you're going to might even leave yourself open for an attack doing that. And so there's no real way to, I mean, you'd have to get so detailed about foot placement and weight distribution and things like that, that yeah. it's just going to take hours just to do a simple combat. Yeah. Well, I guess that's what, you know, when Steve Jackson, I was talking to him a few months ago about Malay and, uh, you know, Wizard and the creation of that. And his his thing was he wanted the game where it kind of mattered positionally where you were. But at the same time, he wanted a game that was really playable, you know, and sort of slick and, and, yeah. and fast. And, you know, Malay is one of those classics, isn't it, for for doing that. But again, still a heavier level of abstraction from, you know, what you might call a simulation of combat. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, maybe I'm getting off the subject, but that was kind of one of the things I wanted to address in the book, too. There, was, mm. there are a lot of different sections about different approaches and what to do. And um, and like I said, those are Dan's rules. I run uh, mm. my original Dungeons & Dragons. Mm. Uh, I kind of have two ways I run it. There's sort of the, the three booklets way, and then I, mm. I do a, um, a Greyhawk version. And, and so... I can flip-flop between those because there's such it's very intuitive play. Mm. And so uh, maybe that's part of the thing is the idea of traditional play. You could literally sit down with somebody, have them roll up a character in 10 minutes, mm. and get them in the game and show them what's happening without having to t- explain anything to them. Yeah. And I think that's key, isn't it? That looking at that um, example of play, you know, it's incredibly descriptive. Um, sort of approach you know it's a very focused on creating a mood I think we spoke about this before about you know when I go into that dungeon being the the, the description of, of all of the senses is really important and you know to engage me in that to uh, draw me into that other world that you know that kind of sense of where we are and that's kind of the other thing too is that in the early days um, you know it, it wasn't that easy to get a set a lot of mm. a lot of people owned a set they just played with their dungeon master and yeah the, their referee would just tell them what to do when they leveled up to change their mm. character but really like their stats and their hit points and their armor class and their movement mm. rate those are kind of like those are the, the fundamental things there mm. um you'd fight a monster and you'd get a description and you might not get a name it was just like you know it looks like something with an arm coming out of its forehead and and there's an eyeball at the end of the arm and, and and teeth, you know, or something. I don't know. You just oh. make stuff up. Um, it <laughs> might have the same hit points as, as an orc, you know. It's just yeah. one hit die, AC6, or something like that. And so, mechanically, it's no different than the other thing, mm. but the description creates the experience. And so, for the players, there was a real uh, barrier of, mm. of knowledge, and so that's mm. kind of the, the, the traditional play style, is that you don't look at your character sheet and look, you know, um, oh, well, if I can just move my figure over here and I'm a flanking position, I, I have this skill and I'm in mm. a flanking position, I'm using this weapon that gives me like a plus mm. seven on my die roll, I'm going to do really well. There isn't any of that. Um, yeah. It's just it's just not there. Um, and so the experience is a lot different. I mean, the, what you're talking about, this, it's the immersion idea is getting away mm. from the character sheet and mm. just what the dungeon master is creating behind your eyes if you close your eyes and the mood as well i think you know and that's why i, th- I always feel it's a lot easier to do face to face that's kind of what it was for and how it was done um yeah obviously in these days of um of covid where most of us are forced online it's um 
you know it's a much harder prospect but um i've yeah. always felt that you need to be able to see each other you know the, the, <laughs> um and, and there's an well, element you know i've been uh dave uh deeper central dave and a bunch of his friends um through uh tonisborg mm. and uh, and we used we just used they're all on a discord server and there might be mm-hmm. interfaces doing it but yeah. i made them only use skype so it was just right. like us right now looking at each other's faces yeah and i had six players i think i ended up with seven players we had 12 characters and mm-hmm. and and much like i really like seeing people be more egalitarian about their characters it's not like just yeah. this is my character so when somebody <laughs> got killed it was like well here you take you know i'll run this guy here you can run yeah. this guy or this yeah. girl or whatever um so it's very um very collaborative on the player side of like, well, mm. you need a character here, use this one, you know? Mm. So they didn't know the rules. None of them have played mm. the original rules. Yeah. They've played uh, maybe uh, some newer versions that try mm. to emulate the original play style, but mm. it was really just reliant on, on descriptive storytelling stuff. You yeah. know, I'm, like, what are you doing? Okay. Well, I'm going to listen at the door. Okay. Is any, where's everybody else while you do this? They're going to stand back down the hallway. Okay. Go up the door. You press your ear against the door. You know, you hear some whispering sounds. You don't know. It's not very clear. It doesn't sound like a human language though. That, that kind of play like that. Mm. And I don't know. It was just, it was fun. I mean, I, one of the players didn't really understand the lethality of the way I play. Right. So he, he, I mean, we had two big events. They, they, I sort of was foreshadowing, I thought, that there was something bad around the corner, and Dave decided to just march right up, and that's when the dragon torched him. Right. Um, <laughs> and it was just like, you know, like, yeah, you, you see sort of flickering flames coming from around the corner. That tells you there's something there, and he just marched right in. So he got, he, I think Dave was the first one to die, and then another guy, had a smoke-filled room, a hallway, and I do a lot of deflection. I, did you read the part about deflection in the book yet? I haven't. No, tell us. Oh, deflection's great because deflection is where you create a point of interest and you yeah. describe everything. And there are places where there could be things hidden or dangerous traps or whatever, but the players see the point of, of interest and they they just make a beeline for it. You know. Yeah. Um, like I, I remember when one game I ran not long back, well, not long back, like four years ago, I had a, a mimic in the room, but the mimic was the wood table without anything on it in the room. And there was a treasure chest on the other side of the room. Right. So everybody goes down to the treasure chest and, and they do the mimic thing like, okay, put the torch on the chest, make sure it's yeah. not a mimic. Meanwhile, the guy standing <laughs> at the back is being, you know, the back of his head is being removed by the mimic and, <laughs> You know, or you make the mimic be the door on the other side of the room that they haven't gotten to yet, and it's just waiting. Yeah. You know, so so they get done with the treasure. They're like, okay, room is cleared. <laughs> we go over and open the other door, and it's like, okay, roll. You know, you take you know twelve points of damage. Oh, you died. I'm sorry. You didn't check <laughs> what that door was. Um, yeah, deflection is simple like that. Mm. But this guy, I just had fog on the floor. And, and there was a skeleton hanging from the ceiling. So he decided to make a beeline for the skeleton because that was the yep. interesting thing. There was a pit in the floor and he just, <laughs> you know, the hobbit, <laughs> like all the players see is this little hobbit going down the hallway and just pitching forward into the fog and a little yelp and then nothing, yeah. you know, and, and, and then all the skeletons start climbing out of the 
pit out of the smoke. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I got about half. I think I wiped out half that party <laughs> by halfway through the adventure. And it was all, you know, they weren't being cautious enough. Yeah. And then, um, and then that whole, like what you were talking about, the immersion aspect of, of if you don't see a map drawn on the table mm-hmm. and you have a, like a, you know, a description of like, well, it opens up and, and you're in this cavernous place and, and it looks like a natural cavern cavern. You have stalagmites and stalactites. Mm-hmm. There's a pool of very still water, a glowing pool of very still water. There's a statue mm-hmm. over the pool. It looks like somebody has taken a piece of chalk and, and basically they started drawing a line and, and they've drawn a line on every like little squiggle that continues and it's unending and it just wraps over every surface up onto the stalactite down the stalactite up the stalactite every surface in this room is completely covered with this one line that meanders its way all around the room um but i think it was at that point i was watching their faces in the skype yeah. and i could i could see dave just had this big smile on his face he was like yeah. oh my god you know, this is why I'm here because you just did yeah. it. You just put in this place, right? Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't. You know, I hear a lot of people that talk about D and D, and I don't know if the new D and D crowd really understands the the intensity of the immersion that we were looking for with the original rules and without mm-hmm. having without having complicated rules. It was just. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or maybe there wasn't a rule for something and you would just, as the dungeon master, you'd say, well, I think that you, you know, you're going to have a, a one in six chance that, that this is going to be really bad for you. And then the player, yeah. we would negotiate. The player would be like, well, <laughs> yeah, you know, if I do it, if I take off my gloves, I'll, my fingers will be able to touch it better. I'll be able to really sense better what's going on. So yeah. I, maybe, maybe it should be like a, a one in eight chance that something bad happens. And and then it's like, okay, well, that's reasonable. You know, I'm not, as a referee, I'm not really out to destroy the players. They get to do it themselves through their choices. Um, I just provide things that will destroy them. And so there aren't any rules. It's just like, okay. And so, so it's, it's kind of like gambling really. It's just, if, if you establish the odds together, that was one of the things I learned. It doesn't really tell me that to do that in the rules, but yeah. uh, players, if you tell the players their odds, they're going to be more likely to appreciate the result, even if it's a bad result. Mm. Um, and so I just see more, more manipulation of what's on my character sheet than the, the interaction between the referee and the player based on, on reasonable results, mm. you know, of whatever the situation is yeah and i think i think what i appreciate and um is is this act of archaeology that essentially is being done here you know um i guess i think in the book you talk about using uh doctrines of archaeology and anthropology to try and like really respect what was what you've got as well you know and present it yeah as is which i think is hugely important especially in an age that wants to sort of rewrite things um you know, to actually have a book here presented that, you know, just gives us such a rich insight into 1973 um, yeah. is, is amazing. I mean, it's sort of funny because, you know, I, I started playing, well, my first games were either 75 or 76 on computers, yeah. but actual face-to-face tabletop was in 77. So I came around about 
I was late to the to the game, you know, by yeah. like three years. Um, <laughs> and so, but at, you know, I'm still I've already become a relic. It's like I'm, I'm a, <laughs> an old dungeon master now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for that. I really appreciate just talking through Tony's book. I'm really looking forward to getting the book. And to be honest with you, yeah. Griff, I, 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 whilst I'm going through the PDF, I have to be honest. What I really want is the book in my hands. In a, you know, in a month or two, so a couple of months' time. Well, it should be really soon. Um, I, we're going to try to give it like a week or two for people to submit uh, changes. We, we kind of crowd. We decided to crowdsource uh, the editing, the proofreading on it, yeah. and that way people can be involved in it. And then if you do send us proofreading notes that we use. Um, we're going to put your name as a proofreader in the book. So yeah. you got to wait a little longer, but you you gave us a whole bunch already, Che. So you and there was another guy that's just been going page by page. And it's just like, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> but um, there's a couple of you that are going to get, you know, uh, your name in the book already for sure. Wow. And um, yeah, so it shouldn't be that much longer. I feel I mean, I feel bad that it's taken so long. I just think, I mean, I don't think you should feel bad. I mean, honestly, we want to see this thing. And, we, and you know, and as with all of these kind of um, crowdfunded projects, I always felt, like I felt this way about Secrets of Blackmore as well. And I know that, you know, you struggled and wrestled to get that out. But, you know, the final product yeah, is I, so worth it. It's so good. It's just so useful. Um, it's worth well, it. Well, you know, to me, the movie is just, I, I did a total cock up on it to become one. You know, it's, <laughs> There's a lot of stuff I wanted to change, but because of the way we were working, we were trying to speed up the workflow. So we did all the audio edits yeah. and sent those off. And, and uh, so we mixed, we had our audio people mix what was in the, in the, uh, what our composer had done with the, with the audio. So once that had happened, we, we had a lock on what content was there. Yeah. And so I had sections that I would have liked to have, maybe abbreviated or, you know, expanded mm. or there's like one spot in the movie where it dips to black and I look at it and I'm like, Jesus Christ, it's in black for three seconds. I don't know how I did that. You know, <laughs> it's probably like half a second, but to me it seems like three seconds. Yeah. And I'm just like, Jesus. Oh, <laughs> you know, but you got to let it go in the wild. Like, uh, I think that there's that level of perfectionism that becomes failure mm. and, and you yeah. just got to let it fly and like, just risk it, you know? Yeah, got to throw dice, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm writing. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm writing another book about Blackmore, and and that's very complicated because I'm talking to other other researchers, and so there's sort of this perfectionist. Well, it should be this, it should be that. Mm. If you look at the source, it's this other thing, and so I'm taking the approach of like, yeah, but really, what you want to get at is the feeling of being in Blackmore mm. as a game setting, and mm. so. Um, if the names aren't exactly right, if little details aren't exactly right, the only person who have who really could have done that right is Dave Arneson. Yeah. And he isn't with us anymore. Yeah. And so um I'm really trying to focus more. It's it's a lot like Tonisborg. It's sort of like, well, here's what we would have done, you know. Mm. Um You're just trying to reconstruct your best kind of view of it, aren't you, really? Just trying to yeah, yeah, give a sense just, of it. Here's some information about it. And then you're going to get to this for yourself. Um, one of the things somebody commented on, on Tonisborg, they, they noticed, noted that on the, on the dungeon key, there are no alignments for the, uh, sort of the non-standard or the, for the, for the, the player character type NPCs, there are no yeah. alignments. Right. And we've, 
we've kind of left those in there for you to figure out yeah. how you, you know, it's, you got to make it your own. Yeah. So you decide, is this a bad guy? Is this, you know, is this lady down here good or bad yeah. in a lot of instances? Um, maybe they might seem bad, but maybe they're kind of neutrally, you know? And so, uh, yeah, we leave a lot of space for, for really individual interpretation. Um, and, and part of that is because it, uh, I'm sort of anti, uh, module. I think mm -hmm. modules are, are good as a resource, like something to read, but if you, I, I can't run them. I'm, I'm just too, I can't understand instructions. I'm just too ADHD freak boy <laughs> to how to run one. And then yeah. on top of it, I just feel like, like, uh, I don't know. They just seem, I, they're just, they seem a lot more mediocre than what I can come up with on my own. Why? You know, and it, and isn't there a part of it as well that is you know the spirit of the way you play is about you make it your own you know that even if you were to steal someone's map which is kind of what you'd be doing here stealing someone's yeah. old map you know that you're going to interpret it your own way you're going to think about it in your own way well you know when i run tonisborg uh, i use those maps but i've already added tunnels onto the maps yeah so you look at my maps and there are like these additional spaces that weren't there you could bring your copy of tonisborg to my game session and within about an hour you're going to be somewhere else um, yeah. um like that room i described the temple you know that's in tonus yeah. that's in tonisborg it's not in in greg had his own variations of things like that that were probably highly detailed in his head yeah it's not down anywhere um and then i also do i really like to just take people uh out of out of the norm and put them in weird weird spaces that are that are you know like you st just get teleported somewhere and it's just like another world you know or um yeah suddenly everybody you're all you're all tadpoles and you're swimming around in a pond and, and <laughs> i gotta get out of this pond you know or something like that um yeah so i don't limit my you know if i if i run that that game i don't limit myself to just being in that game yeah. And I don't think anybody else should either. Hmm. Well, thanks for that. I mean, that's just great to talk through. So thank you so much for that. And that's part one of the chat with Griff. I hope that you enjoyed it. Thanks again to Griff from the Secrets of Blackmore team for coming to talk about the story of Tonisborg and what it offers to the Dungeons & Dragons community. If you want to know more, check out secretsofblackmore.com. I'll stick the link in the show notes. Before I go, I want to say a big thanks to the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue with a special welcome to the new patrons who've joined in recent days. You know who you are. Thank you. You really do make all the difference, guys. Thank you to you too, the listener, for downloading this episode and indulging Griff and I in our passion for role-playing games. I hope that you found something useful or interesting in the episode. Don't forget that it makes a huge difference if you share the episode or even just leave us a positive review. That's enough for today. I'm going to zip off and have a lie down. And here's wishing you all the best in the week ahead. I'm Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. Game on. <laughs>